The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, T.J. Reeves. Yes, indeed. We come in on what will be a very interesting weekend in the ring. It has already been a wild week for a lot of reasons. Uh, Overall, and for me, uh, we're going to get into all of this uh, here on the Big Fight Weekend Preview. And yes, we are coming your way a little earlier, and I'm about to explain why we're doing this here as part of the preview for the weekend. I, uh, I'm i only uh, somewhat capable. I'm like ADD all over the place because other than having the election day Tuesday and other than having a hurricane calm Wednesday, let's get on an international flight to Germany with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Thursday for an NFL game with the Seattle Seahawks in Munich, Germany. Uh, holy cow. So there's a lot to go on uh, here in, in my life uh, this week. Uh, later this week, this weekend, and here to keep me straight on all of this is one Dan Rayfield, our uh, friend, our colleague, our insider from his Fight Freaks Unite site stack, uh, from his Fight Freaks Unite Substack, and from the Big Fight Weekend website. Always good to be with you. You got to keep me in line right now because I'm all over the place right now. I'm just saying. I, I get to focus on the boxing events and all the news of what's going on in boxing. I don't have to worry about going to Germany, worried <laughs> about a football game. Warren, you were telling me before we started taping, you got to go drop your luggage off right. and then drive back and then go back for that charter flight twice in the middle of a potential of a uh, of a tropical storm, storm a major yeah. storm. It's crazy. I can just say, doing. you know, you're my boy and all, but I just say better you than me. And I have two opportunities to be eliminated here. I'm somewhat joking. And if I am and this is the last podcast, I've really enjoyed it with you and you're on your own if that is the case. Uh, but uh, for right now, we're hanging in there. Uh, Nicole is coming by to say hello. Nicole is in the hurricane over the state of Florida. It will become a tropical storm very quickly. So as we release this podcast, we're doing so early because I got to make sure the power is on before we leave and head to Germany. I got the fan got hanging back here. It's, it's crazy. Okay, so let's get to it. We got a we got a pretty. We do. Week. We have lots to get to. By the way, we remind you, however you found us, thank you for doing so. Keep following. Keep subscribing. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. More and more of you finding us by the thousands, by the thousands and thousands. The October numbers are in. We did fantastic. Again, the audience growth is great. Keep following. Keep subscribing. We get the preview in for the weekend, usually out Friday. But in this case, it's out Thursday evening uh, because of uh, all of the circumstances. Dan and I taping a little earlier here in this case. Uh, The uh, weekend recap. Now, that's going to get creative. We should just share with the audience, Dan. I am not back from Germany with the Buccaneers until the middle of the night, early Monday morning, probably about 4 a.m. By the time we get through customs, literally international flight, it's going to be like after 6 a.m. You and I will do, we'll get to the recap, but it will be later in the day on Monday. So the recap is delayed. It generally is there for you late Sunday or Monday morning. I'm just explaining why it'll be a little delayed, but it actually works out because we will briefly talk about the Floyd Mayweather Deji exhibition, whatever this is going to be. Here's and a good thing though. Sunday night, that's Sunday night while I'm flying back. Even, even if it's going to be a little bit delayed, the people who are subscribing don't have to worry. Do you want to know why? Why? Because as soon as it will post, whenever it is, they'll get a banner. They'll get a ding. They'll get a bell. They'll get a light. They'll get a vibration. Something they get. They know a new episode is there whenever it's there. You, you don't have to worry about being prompted any other way if you're following or subscribing. So uh, plenty to get to. We've got Jana back, Alim Kanuli. Did I get it right? Did I come close? I don't know. Close enough. Uh, defending his WBO 168-pound uh, title. 
60. 60, 160, the one that replaced uh, Demetrius Andrade. That is the top-ranked main event in Vegas. We've got an undercard world title fight. Sanicia Estrada is involved. Her first top-ranked fight defending her unified minimum weight, uh, minimum weight titles. Uh, we got an IBF flyweight title fight on Friday night involving England's Sonny Edwards as well. So we got some championship fights to get to. But first, news, 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 and lots of news. Uh, let's begin. We left off with, obviously, the uh, horrific situation involving um, Idos Yorbasanuli, the fighter from Kazakhstan, injured in the Showtime main event on Saturday night. We covered it on a recap podcast, the Fight Freaks Unite recap that as you are reporting, um, he suffered serious head trauma, had surgery. There's not much else known right now, midweek, right? Where there may be an update after this podcast is released, but right now we're still waiting, right? Dan, pick yeah, it up. I, I'm, not, I'm not expecting an update because uh, and it's their prerogative for sure. Uh, the folks involved with the fight and his own team, his family, have chosen not to put out anything publicly. That is, again, 100% up to them. Uh, all I can say is that uh, we wish him well. He has had surgery to relieve swelling on his brain because of the injury that occurred in the 12th round knockout loss against David Morrell, which was the main event of the PBC Showtime card in Minneapolis on Saturday night. Uh, and to me, you know, and I can only base it on similar situations that I have covered. Obviously every case is different, but at this point in time, this many days after what's occurred and he is in the medically induced coma, which sounds bad and it's not good. But it's done for a reason. It, what happens, and, and I've been the reason I'm saying this is because I've been asked, well, what does that mean? They do that after the surgery or before the surgery, I guess, because it, it allows the brain time to rest. Mm -hmm. it, when they do the surgery, they're usually typically removing a piece of the skull. That allows there to be extra space because if your brain is swelling, it's going to get larger. It needs a place to go. So they do that. And then by putting you in the coma, it gives your brain, basically your body time to rest for the swelling to go down. And that takes some time before the doctors can then theoretically, if you, if you're in position to be uh, having this done, they wean you out of the coma to see if everything is okay. Your brain now is theoretically back to its normal size. And that is what's happening. So these days where uh, you don't hear anything good or bad, I've always taken that in these situations to be a sort of thing of no news is good news. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's one of those deals where there is not going to be an update every day, or even if they were making uh, updates public, it's just a matter of wait and see. And, uh, you know, I talked to some people who've been involved with the event and sort of know what's going on. And by all accounts, you know, he's just there, he's hanging in there. You hope for the best. Uh, I, I did like the fact from what I was told that Morell, remember this fight took place in Minneapolis, which is David's hometown. You know, he's from Cuba, but he's been living in Minneapolis for the last few years. It's like his adopted uh, place where he lives. He's become a, a big local star sports-wise there. They come out to support him at the Armory, uh, where he fights most of his fights. In any event, uh, he went, you know, to visit, not the fighter, obviously he's not going to see him, but to visit the team, show support. You know, he, he comes off as like a really good dude. I mean, to go to the hospital like that after this situation, having helped him to his corner after the knockout if you saw the broadcast right. that was something that was not like you don't think about that i'm gonna like you don't plan that that's just the normal that's just that shows you the type of guy he is and you know he did make a, a message on his uh social media you know saying uh, the right things in terms of wishing him the best of uh you know speedy recovery and you know god bless him and god be with you and all that kind of stuff so you know he's taking it serious and obviously he, he feels bad about what happened but he's happy for his win he certainly wasn't trying to hurt the guy 
Um, and all you can do is wait and see and hope for the best. And again, we've had these situations in recent times. Uh, American fighter Patrick Day uh, that was killed in a fight. Uh, Russian fighter Maxim Dadashev that was killed uh, in a fight. Uh, both of those in the United States. So it, it is a harrowing reminder of how dangerous this sport can be. And you talked about that at length and very well on the recap podcast. So we do hope for the best here. And you wonder... This is secondary. You wonder how it affects morale if it does turn worse or not. Hopefully it does turn better because you're right. He is genuinely right now caring about this because it was at his hands that this continued and the corner and the, and again, the doctor, the referee, everybody that allowed the fight to go for a 10th round and 11th round, a 12th round when it was rather obvious that uh, Listen, your boss newly had taken guys, a beating. Yeah. When, when these things happen, some of the athletes that are on the, uh, the, you know, they're not the ones that are injured, but it's their opponent that is injured. Sometimes it does have a, a harrowing impact on their career. They're never quite the same. Other guys, uh, they're able to get through it. They obviously know that it happened, but they're able to carry on. Everybody knows that's in the ring who signs up for this knows what can happen. And, uh, you know, I've seen just a couple of examples. Like if you go back several years ago, this is a little before I was even covering boxing, but the, the, there's a famous example of, of a Gabriel Ruelas who was in a fight in Las Vegas where his opponent, Jimmy Garcia died as a result of the fight. Gabriel Morales was never the same after that. Not because he couldn't fight anymore, but it, it, it impacted him so terribly emotionally that he could just never get himself together. And there are some other guys that have been able to deal with that. Sergey Kovalev, for example, went on to become one of the top pound-for-pound -pound fighters in boxing and win uh, multiple light heavyweight world titles and was involved in some huge fights and that never seemed to at least outwardly have any kind of impact. on him. He didn't really ever want to talk about it, which is his prerogative, but from an athletic point of view, his career was not, in my mind, impacted. You have the situation right now. Charles Conwell, one of the top young rising junior middleweights. He was obviously in the fight with Patrick Day that you mentioned. But, Pat, uh, you know, I know that the kid felt bad about it. He's talked about it. Um, I don't. I can't say he'll ever get past it 100%. But at this point, he's going on with his career. He's an undefeated fighter. Matter of fact, and we'll talk about this a little bit, at the WBC convention uh, as we tape this in Mexico, in Acapulco on Wednesday, uh, they ordered a fight uh, for him in a semifinal eliminator against uh, Juan Abreu. They're, they're, they're fighting each other on the uh, undercard of the Regis Progress-Jose Zapata fight card on November 26th. But that fight now has a little added stakes because it's a semifinal eliminator for uh, the WBC's 154 belt. Okay. Uh, and, the, and the one that I was going to add to that, and I've heard him talk about it uh, numerous times, is Ray Boom Boom Mancini, the oh, very sure. famous... Uh, fight that he had with the Korean fighter Dooku Kim. I remember watching that day as a little TJ on CBS, like tens yes. of millions of others that were watching. And Mancini has said over and over again that he was not the same after that because you go through something like that where you feel horrible, you feel responsible. He went to Korea to the funeral of Dooku Kim. And listen, um, that was a huge, I mean, again, we're making ourselves a little bit old because we are mm -hmm. old, <laughs> but that was a massive massive national story international yes. story and yes. i remember like you watching that on the black and white television at the kitchen table of the house where my mother still lives to this day where i grew up and seeing that he was injured in the fight but not knowing what happened and i remember not realizing that he had that the dooku kim had passed away in that fight till several days later when as a young kid we got sports illustrated at my house and that fight was on the cover of the magazine yes. that we in you know with the news that of his passing so um yeah i mean it's uh listen it's it's 
it's the, the dark side of the sport. It's it's part of it, and it's unfortunate. It's not it's not common, but it does happen uh, here and there. And the one you mentioned with with Ray, um, it definitely had an impact on him. No doubt. Listen, I, I can still. Re- I mean, here's another example. This goes back from what the beginning of my career, watching a fight uh, with George Jones on ESPN that took place on the Intrepid, uh, the battleship that's stationed in the harbor of New York City, and his fight against uh, Batavian Scotland, who was a fighter who, in, here in the in the DMV, you know, Virginia, Maryland, DC, where he had a lot of his fights. I saw many of his fights early on at one of the club shows that doesn't exist anymore, but I used to go to all the time. In any event, uh, you know, Batavian Scotland died in that, you know, as a result of that fight. I lived here. I knew him and his people and everything. Mm-hmm. And I went to his funeral and I still can never re- forget in my, in my life. Nobody knew this was happening, but George Jones with his manager, Lou Duva, came to the funeral and when they walked into the church you could hear a fucking pin drop yeah so i always had a lot of respect for george jones uh to show up at at the funeral i mean he was never the same either unfortunately tough tough part of the sport we'll try to brighten it up a little bit dan will stay on it if there's anything new to report and hopefully there is good news uh to report um then we will have that as we go along on your boss anuli uh from kazakhstan okay uh, other news, and then we're going to get into the fight previews here, which is what we're here for. What else do we have that stands out since last we were talking on the Fight Freaks Unite recap? What else do we? Uh, what do we want to start with here? I, mean, I know you mentioned the WBC convention. What else do we have? Well, one of the things that was disappointing here was that uh, once again, uh, speaking of the WBC, their flyweight champion Julio Cesar Martinez, who was supposed to have a rematch of their wild no contest uh, with him and McWilliams Arroyo from Puerto Rico, that was supposed to be the co-feature coming up December third in uh, Arizona, Glendale, Arizona, on the undercard of the uh, third fight between Chaco Tino Gonzalez and Juan Francisco Estrada. This fight has been beset by all kinds of issues. It's been postponed. I, I can't even, I've kind of lost count. It's at least two or three times. Um, but again, it was set for that undercard. And now the news comes on Tuesday at the convention. Uh, Kevin Rooney, who works with Matchroom Boxing, he's their matchmaker, one of their logistics people, uh, notified the WBC that uh, Martinez, uh, not Martinez, that Arroyo had suffered an injury and that he would be out of the fight, and that uh, because it was a mandatory that the WBC would allow Martinez to obviously still fight, they'll try to line him up with a new opponent uh, to defend the title against. But that was a bummer. When I when I spoke with Kevin separately after that announcement at the convention, he told me that uh, Oreo was suffering from a what, he, what they called a neck-back injury, that he would be sidelined. Uh, he would probably be able to resume training sometime in, uh, sometime in December, and that the idea would be hopefully – uh, to come back into the ring in the in the January time frame, and you know certainly the beginning part of the year, whether they do the Martinez uh, again or not, who knows? But the point is that fight's off for now. But Martinez, very exciting fighter, so they'll find another opponent for him. Um, and remember, he's coming off of the loss to Chocolatito Gonzalez in a non-title fight. He had gone up in weight to fight him when uh, his original opponent had dropped out, which was Estrada because he was suffering from COVID. So. Martinez is back to defend the title. It just won't be against Arroyo. It will wind up being against whoever they can find. I'm trying to lighten it up and get you and I to smile a little bit with whatever. Is it me or this whole thing with Martinez and Arroyo? It's been like trying to keep up with the Kardashian boyfriends and marriages. Who knows? I I can't keep up with which one can't fight this time versus they reschedule and the other one can't fight. But the one thing you got to know is like 17 times we've tried to have this rematch here. When they fought the first time, most, I mean, normally most people really wouldn't care, but that first fight, even though it only went into the third round, was so freaking wild and so topsy-turvy. They were both down in the first round. Arroyo was down in the second round. 
he ended up getting a cut from an accidental headbutt. It was a very bad cut. They ended up stopping the fight and it was off. And you just, you just wish it would have been able to continue because it was clear that somebody was going down that, uh, you know, getting knocked out that night. I mean, they just, they went to battle. Um, and, and Martinez is in those types of fights. Uh, and Arroyo, a skillful fighter who was an Olympian, uh, is not usually in those kinds of fights, but Martinez sort of dragged him into that kind of battle. And, you know, they want to see the rematch. All right, what else on uh, news uh, that you have here before we get to our previews of the top-ranked show on ESPN, et cetera? What else you got? Well, one thing we didn't talk about on the on the uh, recap at the end of uh, last, you know, this past Sunday, uh, I thought it would deserve to mention. I mean, he's not going to the Hall of Fame or anything, but uh, Jason Rosario retired. He announced his retirement in the ring after his loss on that David Morell, your, your Bussinulli undercard. He had gotten stopped by uh, Brian Mendoza who was on that card, but had moved up when his original opponent dropped out, uh, Rosario. So he announced his retirement. I mean, he, you know, he was, he was always in exciting fights. He was a good puncher. He finishes with 23 wins, four losses and a draw 17 knockouts. Um, I just remember his, his biggest win was in Philadelphia when he traveled to the hometown of Julian J rock Williams challenger for the unified junior middleweight title it was a huge upset, knocked him out in the fifth round. And, uh, he went on to lose, uh, you know, later to uh, to Charlo in a three belt unification loss again to Erickson Lubin. But for one night against Julian Williams, you could make the argument that he was the best junior middleweight in the world. And now he's going out, so I just wish him well. Good enough on that. Um, again, that WBC convention that has been going on this week, am I correct? It's the 60th one, right? Or the 60th year correct. of the WBC because yep. they're calling it WBC 60. 60th on this. Uh, year. So, yeah, so there. Interesting things out of that, and some of it not surprising, but go ahead with a couple things you've seen. Yeah, so I'm waiting for the full rundown. What they do is uh, every year, the WBC does this probably the best of all of the organizations. Uh, they're the most uh, detailed, I guess, when it comes to doing these things. But basically what they do is they spend one day, which I believe was yesterday, where they go through and they do the rankings and the promoters make their pitch where, you know, guy, my guy, you know, Joe Blow should get moved from number 14 to number eight. And they, they, it's all day. It's like a whole big thing. <clears throat> and that's how you see a, a lot of changes in ratings. They make their cases, et cetera. And then to me, what I find the most interesting aspect of it is what happened on Wednesday, which is the mandatory day, which is when they go division by division and they line up what are theoretically going to be the forthcoming mandatory defenses slash elimination fights and those types of things. So I'm waiting to see the complete list of everything that went down. But a few things that did happen, some that are not a surprise at all. So, for example, in the heavyweight division, they ordered the, again, just let me preface this, just because the WBC orders this to happen does not mean that it will happen because the boxers and their teams certainly have the prerogative to go elsewhere or do something else. Canelo Alvarez, Jr. Macabu, anyone from 12 months ago, which was never going to happen, even though they suggested it. No, the that's not example true. That was not, and by the way, that wasn't the WBC that suggested it. That was Eddie Reynoso, Canelo's manager and trainer, seeking that, going to the WBC convention, standing up in one of these open forums right. and doing rankings and mandatories and asking if they would give him permission. The WBC was like, okay, fine. But it wasn't. They were not ordering it. It didn't right. happen. It was possible in any event. But I'm just I'm bolstering your case that we hear a lot of these things, and then how many of them actually follow through? That's a lot the of them point. do happen. All right. A lot of them do happen. So one of the ones that may happen, may not happen, is uh, they ordered in the heavyweight division. Not a surprise at all. Is a a fight for the final eliminator, which would make the winner the official mandatory challenger for theory. And that is between Deontay Wilder and Andy Ruiz. And of course, anybody that's been following knows that if you go back 
uh, you know, a month or two ago. You had Andy Ruiz beating uh, Luis King Kong Ortiz in what was a semifinal eliminator. Then, you know, a few weeks later, you had Deontay Wilder knocking out Robert Hellenius in the first round in the other semifinal eliminator. And it was always known ahead of time that the winners of those two fights will be ordered to fight each other. So, but they still have to do it. And today on Wednesday, they did it. They made that order. So that was one element. Another one, again, I'll, I'll get the full list and I'll write a story about it at some Just point. Just real quick while we're on it. What yes. would you gauge as a percentage that that fight happens, knowing what you know and the people yeah. involved? Would you give it a 50-50 or even better? I would give it a little better, actually, because the 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 Wilder team, they would love to get a fight with Joshua or something like that, or even, uh, you know, Usyk, but that seems unlikely. So I think they know that the, that the Ruiz fight is there. I think they believe they're the favorite to win that fight. And uh, I think they would definitely be down for that. And Ruiz... He's not a guy that's been avoiding people. You know, he's a good slick. Uh, he's a good boxer with fast hands and fast feet. He's got good power. Obviously, he's going to be much smaller than Wilder, but I think that he might. They might take their chance because they're going to get paid well. Both of them are with PBC. Look, PBC has been doing these pay per views. I will say this: they did like sixty-five thousand buys on the Ruiz Ortiz fight. They did like seventy-five thousand buys on the Wilder Hellenius fight. Now, those were not big events. Andy Ruiz against Deontay Wilder even as not a championship fight, but as a final elimination fight, that's a lot bigger than those fights. So again, I'm not saying it's going to do huge, huge numbers, but I think that's definitely a fight that does in the six figures, uh, given their fan bases that are totally different from each other. And it's a good fight. They're two good names, both former champions. So to make a long story short, you said, what's the percentage? I would give it like 60, 40, that it would happen. Maybe even a little better than that. All right. But uh, it's a good matchup. So that was one of the orders that the WBC made. Again, another one off the top of my head. Uh, this is kind of an interesting fight. We'll see if it happens. It makes sense for both sides, it seems to me. Uh, they ordered a junior middleweight final eliminator slash a defense of the interim title. So it will suffice <laughs> as both. So it was Sebastian Fundora who holds the interim belt against Tony Harrison, who is a former champion of the WBC, who has the upset win against Charlo and then lost in the rematch. And that would be uh, to determine, you know, to that would be the the fight that would be the final one in the you winner. You know why I'm smiling and laughing at you? If Fundora isn't already the number one as the interim no, champion, no, no, he is this, though. He... I, I get you, but this is I'm just having fun with you. This is like we really, really, really mean it this time that he's no, the no, top you're wrong. contender. But I'm just saying because tell, he's tell her, been the number one, he's me. been the interim champ. You can see me, and I'm waving my finger at you. I like know you're waving your finger, but they named him the interim champ. So now we got to have you... another fight to make the interim champ better than the interim champ. No, because you. Unlike, I don't mean this in a negative way. You know, I love you. But you're speaking like the dopes on Twitter. <laughs> okay. And the dopes on Twitter have never taken five minutes to go and read the WBC rules. So let me educate you. Just because you're the interim champion does not mean you are the mandatory challenger. You have, just because you're ranked number one does not mean you're the mandatory challenger. You have to have that status put on your name at the convention and sometimes it doesn't happen at the convention it can happen other times but there has to be an official reckoning you are now like you know you're being knighted you are the mandatory so even though fandora became the interim champion when he won the fight for that belt he was not the mandatory and by the way charlo is not active at the moment they had allowed that fight to occur because he was taking care of business in the rematch against castaño that we all wanted to see so now the byproduct is he you know you got to clean up afterwards so the bottom line is he has that interim title. Charlo is who knows when he's coming back. 
This was a fight that both sides were interested in. It's a very legitimate fight. It makes sense commercially. It's a good fight for Showtime, which obviously would be most likely the broadcaster of that bout. And so now he will defend the interim belt against Harrison, theoretically. And the winner of that fight will be the interim champion and will then have the official uh, status of the mandatory challenger to fight against uh, Charlo. And as I said to you earlier, secondarily to that, and this is one that who knows if it will actually if it will mean a title shot, but the fight is already made between Conwell and Abreu, and that is the semifinal eliminator. So, you know, you can say it's, you know, we really, really mean it now. And sometimes <laughs> that's the case. In this particular instance, that's not the case. All I'm saying to you is, first of all, I'm now going to demonstrate I'm better than the dopes on Twitter because I tried to read and understand the lightweight convoluted thing that they put out that was more complicated than the tax code or my 14-year-old's Algebra 2 uh, equations. Because they were trying to remember that earlier this year when they were trying to explain about Ryan Garcia's number one, but yes. maybe it's going to be this or maybe it's going to be that. Here's another thing. They, they all contradict themselves. You call them out. We call them out. I call them out. Whatever. They contradict themselves on these rankings. They suddenly rank somebody that wasn't ranked before and rank them in the top five if they want to. Uh, things like that go on all the time. And then they, they like pick and choose what they want to enforce. Perfect example. All right. Jermall Charlo, the WBC middleweight champion, has not had a fight in a year and a half. When are they going to make him, order him, defend your title, or the belt is vacant? Listen, I can't argue with that. I, I mean, I don't disagree. So I'm, I'm, just, disagree. I'm just counterpointing. They make this stuff up, and if Fundora isn't the top guy, I mean, they put a belt around him and said well, the you're, interim you're up your weight classes. Fundora is 154. I understand the, that. The inactive just, Charlo is I skipped up to the other Charlo and a Charlo okay. to be named later. I realized I did that. I, I got you. You caught me. But I'm just saying that in the, in the case of the middleweight, the WBC, what's the WBC rule on, what's the time limit on when you have to defend your title against somebody? Because he's a year and a half now, and they well, haven't... Part of, the, part of his tripping. situation is, and again, I don't know if he's actually done this, but he probably could. They do things like medical exemptions. He does have an injury that supposedly caused the fight last year to not happen with uh, Seleski. So I don't know if they've asked for that. He's had some legal issues, whatever. Uh, they're, you know... If a mandatory or a top contender forces the issue, perhaps they would do something right. at the moment. Like it's, you know, it's a it's, it's the gray area, I'll grant you. There's no desperation to like make something happen in that division right now. It's not like it's, uh, you know, there's somebody out there that hasn't gotten the shot that's totally aggrieved or anything like that. Uh, but you mentioned another thing that they did, and, and I'm going to bring this one up because you All said right. sometimes they, they, again, they order things, but they know they're not dumb people. Mauricio Suleiman and his crew. They're not dummies. They understand the business and they know boxing, but they also know that sometimes when they order these fights that they will happen and sometimes they order them and that they won't happen. Sometimes they do these types of orders because they're trying to assist in helping a big fight happens. Now, I have been a very harsh critic of some of the sanctioning bodies over the years and some of the actions, but you have to also give them credit. There is definitely, particularly in the WBC, where they try to do their best effort to help facilitate major fights that wouldn't happen. As an example, Sean Porter versus Terrence Crawford at the end of last year, a fight that many people wanted to see, would never have happened if it hadn't been ordered by the WBC where Porter was the mandatory and they ordered Crawford to get the mandatory done. That's one example of many that has helped facilitate fights we've wanted to see. Now, you want to talk about an example where maybe they're throwing something against the wall to see if it sticks that I suspect probably won't happen? That was an order that they made as part of this mandatory situation where they said Shakur Stevenson and 
Isaac Pitbull Cruz should meet in a WBC lightweight final eliminator for the mandatory to be, uh, you know, to eventually fight. Which, by the way, we should point out they mandated that Ryan Garcia and Pitbull Cruz should fight earlier this year. And that, of course, never happened because then both sides said we can't get it worked Correct. out between PBC and Oscar. But again, that's not that's not the WBC's fault. So I understand that. Me, so, so they've just... ordered they've ordered Shakur against Pitbull, which, from my perspective, that's an interesting fight. Now, is it going to happen? I'll just say like this. I, I asked I, I brought it up briefly in a, in a phone conversation I had with somebody that would be considered on the Shakur side of the street. OK. And they laughed at me. <laughs> for how long several just seconds, a few seconds. Just, a few oh, just a few seconds okay good so there's your answer but the wbc ordered it nonetheless all right anything else from that anything else of note i think we pretty well covered it yeah then there's a they, they, they the went through each weight class but i'll get to it in something i write and we'll discuss it maybe later on all right any other news or shall we move on to fight we can move on. That's good. i think We're we good. should so the wbo middleweight title fight janabek alim kanuli is going to defend that title in uh, Las Vegas. And we're looking forward to this as the main event of the ESPN top-ranked show. Denzel Bentley of England is the opponent. So let's get into this because Alim Kanuli obviously has uh, he's on the upward trajectory. He has obviously had a lot of success early in his career. Uh, here again, we had an interim situation where he won the title, and now they've elevated him because Demetrius Andrade isn't going to fight anymore as the WBO middleweight champ. All right, so fill us in here on this defense. It's the main event on the ESPN Plus show Saturday night, Nan. Listen, it's, is it the greatest matchup of all time? No, but the problem is uh, Janabek is one of these guys that a lot of guys don't want to fight, and the reason is very simple. He's extraordinarily dangerous. He can knock a lot of guys out. He's very talented. He was an Olympian. He's a southpaw. So he's got a lot of that stuff going for him in terms of what he brings to the table, boxing skills, good punching power, a good IQ, all that. But he doesn't have a name. He's not recognizable to most boxing fans. He doesn't bring a huge amount of money. And so it's a very risky endeavor for any of these fighters uh, that would be willing to fight him. So instead of fighting the top and, by, and, all, and on top of that, the middleweight division these days is pretty barren. You have uh, you know, an inactive Charlotte who was not going to fight him anyway with having the other belt. You know, Gennady Golovkin is a unified champion, but just coming off the Canelo fight, he's not looking to mix it up with uh, Janabek, who's his countryman anyway, and that would probably not happen for a lot of different reasons. Uh, the middleweight division is not the greatest weight class at the moment. Uh, so you end up with him fighting the Danny Dignams of the world, who he absolutely destroyed for the interim title. You could see that mm -hmm. coming a mile away in two rounds back in May. And now he's fighting another British fighter, Denzel Bentley, who, again... Dignam was undefeated 14-0 when they fought with the draw. Uh, Bentley is 17-1-1. He's had a lot of knockouts, 14 knockouts. He's been stopped in his one loss uh, with a resume that, you know, not to say that Janabek has the great resume, but he's beaten guys like Robert Brandt and, and uh, you know, a couple other solid names on his record. He beat uh, uh, Hassan Nadam that had a belt for a few minutes. You know, he's, he's got some okay wins like that, but, but Bentley, his record is just utterly devoid of anything now. Just because you haven't fought anybody doesn't mean you can't be successful when you finally do. But his one loss was to Felix Cash, who was like, in my mind, like just a good like European level guy, British uh, championship level guy, maybe European championship level guy. Uh, this this one has devastating Janabek knockout written all over it, if you ask me. <laughs> uh, you know, no knock on, on, on your boy uh, Denzel Bentley. 
But uh, this one could get ugly, and it could get ugly quickly. Minus 2,000 on the BetUS line. We'll make official predictions on the BetUS live show. God willing, I'll do that show with you from Germany on Friday <laughs> when you see us. Uh, 6 p.m. dinner time, by the way, uh, in Germany. 1 p.m. Eastern time. Adjust your time zone accordingly. And the over-under, by the way, is only four and a half rounds. And Rayfield may think that might be too high. Under over might should be like three and a half. We'll see. We'll see, yeah, we'll see what uh, Janabek does in, in the main event there with uh, – with uh with Bentley. While we're on this, before we well, pause, just just for the for, yeah, the, for a matter of comparison, when Felix Cash knocked ben, Bentley out in April of 2021, he took him out in the third round. So if you had the under on four and a half for that fight, you won. You good, you, can. you were good on that. Uh, okay, and then on the undercard, this is interesting. Top rank signed, uh, popular minimum weight fighter, uh, Senecia Estrada. She's going to defend her titles in the co-feature. And you have spoken on this podcast. You've written about it some, too. They're trying to broaden out some of their women's championship caliber boxing fighters. They've signed Estrada now. This is the first time she will be on a top-ranked card. She's the co-feature fight. Little-known challenger opponent, but it's more about featuring Estrada on ESPN Plus Saturday in Vegas, right? Yeah, no question about it. Look, Estrada has a fan base, maybe not a massive fan base, but she does definitely have some fans uh, uh, from the Southern California area where she has boxed a lot. I've been at fights where she's been on undercards when she used to be with golden boy. She always had a cheering section in the crowd. Um, you know, she's a good fighter. She's got a good personality. Uh, she's very, uh, she's nice in terms of like the way she conducts herself. Um, she, she has aspirations to win titles in various weight classes. She has been a, uh, she's had a title in the junior flyweight division. Now she's uh, got a title in the, 105 pound, which is the smallest weight class. Um, she wants to go up and also win a title in the flyweight division. There's a lot of different things she can do in those smaller weight classes. Um, and she can be competitive with them. Top rank, as you mentioned, had really not done much of women's boxing for a long, long time back. You know, got to go back to the beginning when I started writing about boxing, they did a lot of fights involving, um, Lucia Riker and they had obviously uh, Mia St. John on their shows but that was pretty much the extent of it. And it, Riker was a serious fighter, but she had a lot of injuries and her career was cut short. In terms of Mia, she was sort of a sideshow attraction. But now they got back into it more recently when they signed Michaela Mayer, who was somebody that they felt was interesting, that that came to them with an idea of what she wanted to do. And they've seen the fruits of their success on both of them having some big fights for her. And Estrada seemed like the ideal thing to follow up. If you're going to be in women's boxing, they weren't going to just go sign anybody. They wanted somebody that brought something to the table, and they feel like she has marketability to go along with her ability. And you put them together, and this is the first chance for her to fight on one of their cards. She's 22-0 with nine knockouts. She's in the prime of her career at age 30. Um, she Again, you said she's taking on a little-known challenger, Jasmine uh, Gala Villarino from Argentina, who's 6-1-2 with one knockout again. This is about Estrada, not about the opponent. We'll call it a showcase fight if you want to be nice. And ideally, if she takes care of business, she can move on to uh, something bigger and better. We will be moving on, Troy. Anything else, Mighty One, off that top-ranked card, including any prospects or anything that you're interested in? Because they they oftentimes have some prospects. Oh, no uh, doubt about it. I mean, if you're into the prospect side of things, I mean, go. and I've said this on the podcast before, it is my opinion that top-ranked has by far and away and uh, no knock on any other company, but they got the best crop of prospects in boxing. It's not even close in my opinion. Um, so that undercard features two guys, at least well, a few guys actually to keep an eye on one. It's the first top rank fight since they signed Emiliano Vargas, the lightweight who was one of the fighting sons 
of the former champion, Fernando Vargas. Uh, he has three boys who are all boxing. Uh, Emiliano is the youngest of the three. And uh, I'm not making this assessment, but from what I have heard from others that are more in tune, he is the so-called best of the three. So he is 1-0. and He turned pro earlier this year uh, on a card in which his brothers both, both fought on the Triller card when Kovalev headlined. So he has his first top-ranked fight on this card. They'll nurture him. They'll bring him along. They have a, a, another prospect who's also a lightweight who is far more developed uh, than Emiliano Vargas is, and that is a prospect I have have high hopes for and think he's tremendous, and that's uh, the Robert Garcia-trained uh, Raymond Morataya, who's on this card in an eight-rounder against Miguel Contreras. He's an excellent prospect. And if you want to go a little deeper, uh, just one more example. They have Carlos Valderas, who is a former U.S. Olympian who stumbled, had a loss, uh, you know, had some issues, switched promoters, got a different training situation, seems to be on the comeback trail, still a prospect. He's on this card in an eight-rounder, also a lightweight. Uh, so, But there's even other guys, too. What have you, Martinez, Floyd Cash, Floyd Diaz, et cetera. They always have a ton of prospects on their cards, and they're worth watching. Okay. ESPN Plus will have the whole show. Again, Alim Canuli and Bentley, the main event for the WBO Middleweight Championship. Uh, why don't we pause, hang in there, Dan Rayfield. We're going to come back. There are a couple of other fight cards of interest, including a Friday night championship uh, fight uh, for the IBF's uh, flyweight title. That one in Sheffield, England, involving Sonny Edwards. We're going to talk about that. Also, a big historical anniversary involving Mike Tyson. All of that as we continue. We're back on Big Fight Weekend. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. Back in one more time with my man, Dan Rayfield. Again, as we make mention, we released this podcast earlier on Thursday afternoon and evening because I have literally got to not only get out of town, but get out of the country with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers travel party as we are headed to Munich, Germany for the first ever NFL football game in Germany with the Buccaneers playing the Seattle Seahawks. So I know you have been to Europe. Have you ever even been to Germany? I don't know if you've covered a fight in Germany. Have you ever been to Germany? I, I have not, actually. Okay. I, okay. I, I was going to go one time for uh, a Klitschko fight in Germany. It never okay. ended up working out. Uh, I've covered several fights in England, um, and that's always – that's that's right. pretty cool. I mean, they have great fans there, and it's a great atmosphere. We are told – we are told there's a bunch of interest in American football, not just the oh, yeah. football as in soccer on the ground. So we'll find out what it is in yeah. Germany. And they, they are big fight fans in Germany. Sure. Uh, obviously, what was the name? Axel Schulz was the, the heavyweight. Oh, he was, he was a big star over there. See, Correct. the thing is when they would have th those those fights with the big fights with Schultz and the big fights with Klitschko's, both Vitaly and Vladimir, who were not even German. Schultz was a German. Uh, but the Germans adopted the Klitschkos because they were based there and they lived there. They were from Ukraine, obviously, but they lived and fought out of Germany for many years. They did, uh, for, for the two brothers, had any number of fights that took place in the big stadiums around the country. Mm -hmm. 65,000, 60,000, 50,000 was like a regular occurrence, you know, for Vladimir's fights and for Vitaly's fights. They had a, a whole bunch of those kinds of events where they drew gigantic crowds. Uh, right, they were so and not will... only not only gigantic crowds, but they would do their fights were on free television on a, on a network called RTL, which was like ABC or CBS or Fox in the United States, NBC. They would do 10 million. I mean, crazy numbers in terms of the audience. All right. So get, uh, I'm going to give you a quick little homework assignment while I'm talking. Look up Klitschko's fights and see if 
um, Vladimir Klitschko in particular ever fought at Allianz Arena. That is Bayern Munich, the famous soccer team that is in Munich from the Bundesliga. I know we're getting in depth, but this is the soccer. They are they are like the Dallas Cowboys. They are like the New York Yankees. They're one of those iconic teams in Europe. Their stadium is the Allianz Arena that seats some 68,000 for football. I assume it seats more than that for uh, for, for I boxing. I mean, he, Klitschko did fight several fights in Did he fight in, in Munich? Munich? Does it show he Munich? Definitely, he definitely fought in Munich, but I don't know if it was the stadium, and sometimes those things Interesting. change. But okay. he fought like in the you know the in a number of big big stadiums and big arenas in gotcha. Germany, you know the indoor stadiums. So I'm gonna have to check this out and I'll report back on the Buccaneers okay. being there. So that's why the podcast is out a little early. Speaking of early, we have a championship fight on Friday night in Sheffield, England. Tell me more here about Sonny Edwards, the IBF uh, flyweight world champion, English fighting Felix Alvarado. Fight TV, by the way, has the pay per view. No, this. give me some more. No, 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 no. It's free. It's That's free. Now. It is on. And I didn't know. I mean, I knew that it was going to be on fight. I've had it on, on, on my schedule. And but now you have weeks. to subscribe and pay to fight. No. Correct. No, 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 Okay, no. Keep going. You just got to not talk about the TV stuff. Let me handle that. I'm letting you handle it. Okay. Just go on your fight TV app on your website. If you have it on your cable system, because I have it in apps on my TV, on your phone, and it'll be free. It's not part of fight plus. We have to pay a monthly subscription. It's not a pay-per-view. It is literally free. 12.30 p.m. Eastern time is when the card starts. I don't know exactly when the ring walk is for the main event, but the point is you can watch that fight for free. That's a probellum card, and they're doing it on fight. Normally, events on fight, if they're not part of Fight Plus, they charge pay-per-view prices. Like some, you know, But for these overseas cards, they're maybe like you know, $10, $14. They're nominal fees, but this is literally for free. And that's a good thing. So you have uh, Sonny Edwards, top flyweight, outspoken guy. He's defending his title against, as you mentioned, Felix Alvarado, who is a former title holder of the IBF in the junior flyweight division. He vacated that title to move up in weight. He's won a couple of fights since then, and now he's the mandatory. And this is that fight that will take place, as you said, in Sheffield. And, uh, you know, it's not a bad matchup in my mind. It's not, uh, you know, it's not the unification fight that, uh, that Sonny Edwards has wanted. But it's it's probably the next best thing because at least it's a guy with a good reputation who uh, has been a champion before, even if he was in the smaller weight class. What I find to be funny about it, TJ, is that in the buildup to their fight, that uh, Sony Edwards is talking about everybody uh, other than his opponent. So maybe he's looking a little <laughs> bit ahead. But what he was doing was that's not a good was, sign. Usually, you can sometimes get caught. Can Alvarado punch hard enough to catch him? What's your opinion? To catch he's him, hurt him. He's got, he's got 38, 38 victories and 33 knockouts. Well, but go. I found it to be funny. We talked about the uh, the 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 mess of the Julio Cesar Martinez rematch against uh, Arroyo that has been postponed yet again. Back in the summer, the the sides between Edwards and Martinez were talking about a unification fight. And that was a fight that the, that the Edwards camp really, really wanted. And they were getting down the road. They thought it would take place in, uh, in, uh, in September. And for whatever reason, the Martinez side walked away from those talks. And so Sonny Edwards has been ticked off about that. So even though he's getting ready and showing respect for Alvarado and the way he speaks about Alvarado, he's talking more about how they should strip Sir uh, Martinez of the WBC title. You know, me and Alvarado should be fighting for that title, you know, and he's just been punishing him because he calls him, uh, said, you know, he just won't fight the guy. So interesting. we'll see. Sonny Edwards, his mouth writes a lot of checks. We'll see if he can back him up. And he's not a, a, a big-time puncher himself, so we'll see. He's heavily favored in this one. He's minus 500 
Yo, not he's not a puncher at all. He's 18 0 with four knockouts. So yeah, there you go. He's just a good, he's a good boxer with good tactician. Yeah, very much so. Fast hands. All right. So that is the fight, fight card, fight TV, fight pro bellum fight card Friday night uh in the UK, Sheffield, England, Friday afternoon, US time. I gotta adjust my time zone and my my outlet. I wonder if it'll be on German TV. I gotta look. I might not have to, you know, speak at the Dutch here to to figure out what's going on, but I got to look. I got to look and see. You if can it still is, maybe, maybe find it on fight. Maybe. All right. I'll look into that. Uh, a couple of more. And then we got a Mike Tyson anniversary. Montana Love. Rayfield didn't laugh. He didn't. He sort of smiled. He didn't laugh. Montana Love headlining on the zone. Uh, this is Saturday night, Cleveland, Ohio, against Stevie Spark, who, if you paid attention over the last year or so did fight Tim Zoo in Australia and got clobbered in one of those fights. So now Love and Spark fighting as junior welterweights. Uh, I believe Spark moved up like two weight classes to get clobbered and get the payday with Tim Zoo in Australia. All right, so uh, give me something on the DAZN show if there's anything worthwhile, including Montana Love. You going to give it any love? Any uh, love Listen, is in the air? Matchroom uh, does usually an excellent job of putting on their American shows. I've, I've been to a bunch of them. They do a good job. I'm not knocking them. This ain't their best effort. <laughs> Let's just call it what it is. I mean, we keep okay. it real here, my man. Yeah. You know, Montana Love, he's 18-0 with a draw. This is a hometown fight for him. He's from Cleveland. Uh, you know, he he's a he's a, a lot he got a lot of a lot of attention and a lot of ink that and I don't wish him bad. I hope he fulfills all his dreams and potential. But I just don't see it just yet. Okay. I see a guy that's got a good stick. He comes into the ring with his pet dog. That's cool. But that's like that's the show right there. So, but part of it is because isn't it a DAZN show with Natasha Jonas defending her title in Manchester, no, England, Saturday? Or that's not a that's not a no, DAZN that's the that's the room. wrong show. This that's is this room. is this is not that's not matching. That's boxer on Sky. You're getting gotcha. your shit mixed up. So, Montana Love against Steve Spark to me as a main event is uh, mm. I give it I give it an F as a main event. Wow. Now, if the action maybe the action will turn out to be pretty good. Uh, you mentioned that Sparky get get destroyed by Tim Zoo. He did move up two weight classes from 140 to 154. I'm not really sure why that happens. You sparked him <laughs> in three rounds. Uh, it happened because they paid him to be yeah, there. Yeah, of course. To fight I mean, that's pretty much why everything pay, happens. But, the, you, the, you know, the, the, if there is an intriguing fight on the card, and I use the word intriguing loosely, it's that this is the first fight of Richardson Hitchens since signing with Matcham. Richardson Hitchens had been with Mayweather Promotions. He was an Olympian. Uh, he's a good prospect, not a big puncher, but a good tactician. He's from New York, but he, he represented Haiti in the Olympics, uh, which is where his family is from. And he's, like I said, he's a good prospect. So this is his first fight, uh, with Matchroom since signing a few, you know, a couple of months ago, he is 14 and always taken on, uh, Yomar Alamo, who was 21 and one, who was, if you're familiar with Spanish language, television, boxing, he was a, a regular on the Telemundo series that Tatico Zabala promoted. Um, and it's like, I guess you have to consider it a bit of a test for Hitchens, uh, you know, who's taken a step up in my estimation, but there, it's just not the, uh, what can I tell you? I mean, we've already spent too long on it. I will, uh, I will echo that sometimes the card stinks. You're saying in advance, this I'm, card I'm not going to use the word stinks. That's I will I'm... say I use the, this card stinks. Let's see if it's any better than, and, and it makes me look bad, but I don't think maybe so. The, maybe the action will surprise us. and It'll be a good fight, but good enough. 
you know, it good, is what it is. Good enough on Montana love there for Saturday. Also on Saturday and in Manchester, I'm unclear, is this in the same arena or a different arena competing with the Jonas fight card? Because Ricky oh, Hatton and Marco Antonio Barrera are fighting an exhibition, but it's also in Manchester. So here's the way they're doing that. I was confused by that, too, when they were announced. Okay. Barrera and Hatton and that aspect of the event is being put on by one particular company. It's like, let's call it like, you ever see like there's like split site double area, uh, like you'll have a, a, a twinite double header in baseball. Right. It's kind of the same thing, except you don't have to get a separate ticket. If you buy a ticket for the Barrera Hatton exhibition, you can stick around and watch the other show. And if you buy a ticket for the other show, you can still get in and see the uh, early one. And it, they're basically sharing the arena. It's one promotion company whose name escapes me at the moment is doing the Barrera uh, and Hatton exhibition. And you have Boxer uh, doing the other fight. And they're both being televised on Sky, whether gotcha. they make it into two broadcasts or one, I'm not really clear on. The uh, The Jonas fight is available in the United States as a small pay-per-view on fight for like $9.99. I'm not clear if they're also showing the Hatton exhibition on that broadcast. Uh, if they're not, my not to my knowledge, the Hatton Barrera is not available in the United States. But it's kind of a thing where Ricky Hatton, who was one of the most popular fighters in his time that you could ever find, who's had all kinds of issues outside the ring through his career, um, you know, had mental health issues, had right. a, a lot of a lot of problems with uh, substance abuse, etc. But he's he's a really good guy. I mean, I, I was fortunate to cover his career and got to know Ricky a little bit. He is just a great guy, uh, you know, despite his 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 issues and uh he he decided you know he's retired from the ring he made a comeback at one point this is not about coming back and trying to relive his career and and going and fighting for championships he got healthy he took off some weight he got himself in condition mentally and physically and it was like a goal of his if they can get in good enough shape let me go into the ring and we'll put on a show we're not going to try to knock each other out uh he has a, a dance partner in marco antonio barrera who's sort of in that same mindset who's one of the great fighters of all time and I just hope that they uh, they put on a good show for the fans and, and uh, you know, not going to be going for knockouts, but just show us they can still do something. At and we'll age. get out of here in just a moment or two on these fights. And I still want to talk about the Tyson anniversary that we have. Are they fighting with thicker gloves, bigger gloves? There's not headgear here in this because they're both older. I don't, I don't believe there's headgear. Yeah, it's eight, it's eight rounds. Um, and again, an exhibition is you're not going for knockouts. To my knowledge, you're not scoring the fight. So I don't believe you'll see judges scorecards at the end of it. Obviously, somebody could get knocked out because you can't control if you land the right way. But uh, it's just meant to see and conjure up your recollection of these great fighters and uh, and see if you know they never fought each other when they were active because Ricky was fighting as a 140 pounder and 147 pounder. Marco Antonio Barrera he fought his career between you know 122 pounds and 135 pounds. Maybe he might have had a fight you know at the end of his career was in the lightweight division or even 140, but he never, they never overlapped at that point, even though they were active and at the top of the pound for pound list at the same time. Um, so, you know, that's something for fun. All right. We got to get, we got to get to your main, to your main exhibition. Okay. So weekend. Sunday night, uh, also Floyd Mayweather in an exhibition, uh, as well with Deji, the content, the content creator, this one in Dubai, United Arab Emirates. And this is actually on pay-per-view being suggested to be offered for what? For Mayweather was, and Deji? I want to say it was either $29.99 or $39.99. Oh, but the thing luck. about the pay-per-view is it's on pay-per-view.ppv.com. Right. It's on zone pay-per-view. It's on fight as a pay-per-view. You can buy it as an integrated sports on your 
you know, basic cable, you know, your linear television pay-per-view. So it's, it's all over the place. Uh, how many people buy it? I don't know. You know, apparently your boy Deji is popular figure in the UK uh, for the, for what it's worth. Uh, you Tommy keep calling Fury. him my boy, and I laugh. I can't name anything he's done, but he is my boy. I have no idea. Until he was fighting Mayweather, I never heard of the guy. There you go. Uh, Tommy Fury, the uh, half-brother of Tyson oh. Fury. He's oh. on the card. He can in, in show a, up and fight on this card. Okay, he's on this card. It's, yeah, he's in an actual official uh, fight on the undercard. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. Okay. So I find is... it, but the one thing I said to you before we started taping this, I found it kind of like taking me back years that you have – Mayweather and Hatton, these two events are not related to each other, who are fighting within one day of each other in exhibition matches when they were contemporaries. They were, you know, when they fought each other, it was Mayweather was the undefeated welterweight champion and Ricky Hatton was the undefeated junior welterweight champion coming up in weight. There was a lot of people going into that. I covered that fight. That was basically the winner of that fight is number one pound for pound in the world. Certainly if Hatton had beaten Mayweather, and he already had such a, a high, you know, uh, profile and was thought so highly of by so many people. And Mayweather, of course, was Mayweather. Uh, that was a huge mega event. I mean, I don't think people now it's a few years ago, obviously, more than a few years ago, mm -hmm. can't really comprehend just how big of a deal that fight was. Uh, that's still to this day, one of the most wild and intense fight weeks I have ever covered at the MGM Grand. The British fans descended on Las Vegas, you know, like like flies to shit i mean it was <laughs> this the arena holds like sixteen thousand. they brought like i don't know what it was like fifty thousand brits to, to 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 las vegas so obviously there was lots of uh, closed circuit availability but it was wild i mean I, that was where you just heard that you know there's only one ricky hatton song non-stop for like a week i got there i think like on tuesday of the fight week the thing that i'll never forget if you're familiar with the mgm by the check-in desk right in the, inside the front door to the left. They call it the lobby bar. It's a bar where everybody hangs out. Mm -hmm. There was a line for adult beverages at that bar 24 hours a day. It didn't matter. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you. So I was working at ESPN at that time. Right. And so I had to get up early to go down to the arena to do hits for Sports Center early morning East Coast time. Mm -hmm. So I would get up. I was getting up at like, you know, probably five, five o'clock in the morning, Las Vegas time to get down to do my hits. And I remember to looking, coming out of the elevator, seeing lots of people milling around and going over there. Cause it's a few, it's like, you know, 20 feet away and just seeing the bar at five 30 in the morning packed, come mm. back from the arena, you know, a couple of 90 minutes later, still packed, go up to my room, maybe, you know, sleep another hour, get up, do my thing, come down and go to the press room. Let me see what's going on there. Still six deep for, for, for a beverage every single day like that morning, noon, and night, you go a late night, you go in the afternoon. The phrase I would use, they emptied the place out alcohol. -wise, so that's what week, you're saying <laughs> that week. The, the urban legend, if you will, was at the MGM, the biggest hotel in the world at that time. I don't know if it still holds the record, but back then over 5,000 rooms that the MGM ran out of beer. <laughs> <laughs> because the Brits were just emptying it out. They were going to drink and it out. And absolutely. And then that was also one of the first times it became kind of standard. I don't remember if there had been one before that, but certainly this sort of set the bar at a level. They used to not open the arena for weigh-ins. They would do the weigh-in like somewhere separate. That wasn't like a big deal with the fans. They started to let the fans in. 
So I again, I was up on the stage because I was doing some reporting for Sports Center. So I was looking out at the crowd, and I can never forget like the fans that filled up the MGM was like, and so I'm standing there and, and they weigh in, and you just see every single flashbulb from people's phones oh, go yeah. like crazy. And it was a breathtaking experience to be right there watching that unfold. This is uh, cool. And folks. the fans, he's, and he's the fans, taking us right there. I love it. You're taking us the right fans there. Chanting and singing. And then, you know, the next night, uh, a lot of people thought that maybe Hatton would have a chance against Floyd. They built that fight up so incredibly uh, with a 24 7 on HBO. And then Mayweather went in there and Hatton, he hung in there and, you know, he wasn't going to win the fight, but at the end, you know, Mayweather, not a big puncher, scored a sensational knockout. And uh, they they both made astronomical money for that fight. It was a mega event. I would rate it. I mean, again, I've been doing this a long time. I've covered any number of mega fights. That is one of the most mega fights of mega fights. Yep. I remember I was in Houston, Texas with the Buccaneers. And the reason I remember this, we went to this place in downtown Houston where they had a cover charge of like $30 to get in. And then they had a minimum that you had to eat and drink if you were staying there for more than an hour uh, in the area where you were. You had wristbands on and the whole and the whole bit for this is where they're going to have the fight. And you got to keep buying food and drink if you're going to stay there for more than an hour. And let's just say I don't I know about the roar in the arena, but when he landed that left, it was one punch, right? When he landed that left on Ricky Hatton and dropped him, um, the roar in the in that place in Houston went up about probably three or four hundred people that were watching well, that, that, uh, in that moment. So that fight is fifteen years ago next month. How about that? And here we are, fifteen years later. And the reason why we're even discussing this is because on in separate locations, one day apart, they're back in the ring in exhibitions. Good enough. And if they weren't, if they weren't the popular figures that they were, nobody would care if they were doing an exhibition. But because they were two of the most popular figures of their time people still care they resonated with people that's a great point point. and speaking of that mike tyson had a resurgent exhibition with roy jones to your point that people were very interested in a couple of um a couple of years ago that was november of 2020 i believe as, as yeah well was that was that did a big business because it was the perfect storm it was tyson and jones and it was also remember we were all locked at home in the pandemic exactly so there was and nothing going to watch okay so november 9th 1996 is the first Tyson Holyfield matchup significant for numerous reasons. Uh, finally, as it was called, uh, and you have a story, but obviously on this podcast, we gave away, I had the Tyson Holyfield one yeah. hat never worn. And we gave it away to a, uh, to a listener to the podcast, a little contest we did. So that is 26 years ago that Holyfield upset Tyson. Tell your story real quick on the anniversary. Well, it, it obviously, first of all, it was I believe it was voted as the Ring Magazine Fight of the Year. Just a tremendous mm -hmm. battle. Big, huge upset. Remember, when the fight happened, they called it finally. And they called it finally because there were times before that the fight had been scheduled and it did not happen. Remember, back in like 91 or so, that fight was supposed to take place. And Tyson figured, I'm going to take a little pit stop for X number of millions of dollars in Japan uh, to pocket some extra money. And then I'm going to go fight Evander later in the year. Well, unfortunately, he got knocked out by Buster Douglas, and so the fight went down the tubes. Uh, then they were then Holyfield knocked out Douglas to become the undisputed champion, and Tyson right. was going to be uh, one of his uh, early defenses. I believe it was his second defense. They were going to fight. Uh, it was instead of Tyson being the champion defending against a mandatory Holyfield, it was now Holyfield who would become the champion who was going to defend against a mandatory Tyson, uh, or maybe he wasn't even the mandatory. They just were going to mm -hmm. make a huge fight. In any event. 
then Tyson got arrested for the rape charge and they were going to still do the fight. And he injured, he injured a rib. The fight was postponed and the fight was never rescheduled because Tyson ultimately was convicted and sent to prison for three and a half years. And so finally, to use the word that's on the name of the, of the fight in 96, at a time where Don King and everybody involved with Tyson thought they were just going to finally uh, get this and run to Holyfield over because he had been knocked out by Riddick Bowe in their third fight. And then he had come back from that knockout loss. And even though he got a victory against Bobby Chez, a, a faded fighter who was much smaller, um, Holyfield got a, a very questionable TKO victory because some kind of uh, foreign substance had gotten into Bobby Chez's eye and they ended up having to stop the fight. But Holyfield looked absolutely horrible in that fight. You know, I don't remember his age, but whatever it was, he was going on 60, it looked like. He just didn't <laughs> look terrible in that fight. And they just figured, you know what, we've got the big name. We're just going to put him in the ring like, a, you know, and just let Tyson run this guy over because Tyson had sort of regained a little bit of swagger. People like to say, well, he was never the same uh, after he beat, after he lost to Douglas. He no longer had that aura of invincibility. Yes, he had lost. But remember, when he was plowing out guys like Bruce Selden in a rematch with Frank Bruno, Tyson had that aura back to a lot of people. He had that swagger back to a degree. And so when they matched him up with Holyfield, he was a 25 to 1 favorite to win the fight. And Holyfield stood up to the bully and yep. knocked him out. And it was an unforgettable fight. So you asked, what's the story? I didn't see the fucking fight live. And you asked, <laughs> why didn't I see the fight live? Why didn't you see the fight live? Because it just so happened, coincidentally, I had been working my first newspaper job after I graduated from college. Or actually, I got it before I graduated. But nonetheless, I was working at a newspaper in Saratoga Springs, New York. I then uh, got hired and transferred to a same to another paper in the same company. Uh in Binghamton, New York, where I had gone to college. I had done an internship at that newspaper. And it just so happened that that was moving day. That Saturday of Tyson Holyfield 1 was the day that I was moving from Saratoga to Binghamton. So I had a couple of my boys, a couple of my buddies. We I rented a U-Haul. They had drove behind me. They helped me load up the stuff. And I told them, you know, let's we'll hang out for the weekend. You come see the new apartment. You know what? You, you helped me move all my shit. You know, I got dinner. I'm going to order the fight. We'll hang out and you guys can sleep over and then you can make your way home. Perfect. So we pack up the car, we pack up all my shit and we, we travel. It's about a three hour drive from where I was living to where I was moving. We get there. All is good. We unload the stuff. And I had arranged to have all my stuff, like my, make sure my utilities were turned on, make sure the, hey, the lighting bill was changed over. I had ordered, I had gotten cable hooked up. I was good to go. The problem was, they didn't leave the box that was necessary for pay-per-view. Oh, so I had the cable where I could just plug it in the back of the TV and you could watch the regular cable channels, you know, your CNN or ESPN or whatever, but you couldn't watch the pay-per-view. Now it's Saturday afternoon at like five, you know, four or five o'clock and it's not open. You can't go get a box. So I'm like, we're fucked and we can't watch the pay-per-view. There was wow. no place to go locally that I knew about that had it where you could even, you know, buy a closed circuit ticket. So I'll never forget this. I took them out for dinner and they ran up a tab on me and they, they fucked me. <laughs> and, uh, I didn't see the fight. And so uh, I never saw Tyson Holyfield one live. I've already detailed in the past how I never saw Tyson Douglas live. Cause I was in college and sick as a dog. And right. I never saw Tyson Holyfield two live because I was working at the press and sun bulletin. I was on an editing shift and back in, let's make ourselves sound old again. TJ back then you put on the pay-per-view channel. You couldn't see the picture, but you get the, the squiggly lines, you know, the <laughs> right and the audio and you got the, the audio scrambled so, channel, right? The right, scrambled right. channel, right? So my job that night was to monitor the fight through the squiggly lines oh and the audio. God. 
because the paper sure wouldn't play pay for the pay-per-view oh my god it wasn't that they wouldn't they didn't have there was no way for us to buy it at the office you couldn't oh, get I see. It. it we probably would have if we were if we could but it wasn't doable so my job that night on that shift was to make sure to monitor the, this at the end of the like towards the end of the shift because it's late on a saturday night your job that night the editor said okay is to you're in charge of the fight we're gonna we're gonna put the early story in on the undercard and then when the when the fight's over your responsibility is because I also I was a writer, but I also had they did like basically ha about probably a quarter of my time or a third of my time was spent doing desk shifts and editing was, you know, here's the we have the space carved out for the fight and uh, we'll make sure it gets in the paper. <laughs> well, I'm listening to the thing. And I remember never like never forget this as long as I live. I'm listening to Steve Albert call the fight for Showtime uh, back then SCT pay-per-view. And, and he's talking about how Holyfield is having his ear bitten by Mike Tyson. And my boss is back to me. <laughs> You know, because we're back to back in this circular area where we do the paper. And I said, uh, uh, he's he just said that he bit him on the ear. And all of a sudden, within like a minute, like the wire, you know, that was there was no Internet at that time. For right. Stuff. You would get stuff on the AP wire, come into the certain computer terminal. And all of a sudden, come here, come the alerts about what's going on. So it was a very frenzied, harried situation. I got it in the paper, but I never actually saw the fight until a week later on the Showtime replay, because once again, to make us sound old, there was no YouTube back then. Right. It did not exist. There was no if internet you, where you could go find If you did not stream. see the pay-per-view in those days, you had to no. wait for a replay on HBO, Correct. Showtime, or whatever a week later. That's so it. So what I saw was, you could see still photographs, and we got them on our AP wire, so I saw all the still photographs. You could see maybe whatever highlights Showtime was willing to put out for free that they would cut, and send to a place like ESPN or CNN. Right. So whatever their like, you know, minute package that didn't show uh, the bite, the bite, or or even before that in the first fight, the knockout, you you had to just take what they sent you. Now a fight happens, you can see it live pretty much any which way. You can watch it, you know, on YouTube or any other place. You know, minutes after it's over. All these things I'm saying are why pay per view receipts are in the dumper for every promoter and fighter out there. They don't do what they did because. There's not that uh, you get so easily findable, but that's that's why I missed three of the biggest Tyson fights that happened in his career: Holyfield one, Holyfield two, Buster Douglas. But still, one of the all-time uh, writers and voices of the sport of the last twenty five years. But I was for the Lennox Lewis fight. I like that, but you also were transcribing through the squiggly lines on the second fight, so essentially you were covering it remotely, kind of like what Correct. we do now. All right, so my my story about. Uh, Tyson Holyfield won, and then we got to go. We got to get out of here. Is I had the pay per view at my house. I'm working local radio in the Tampa Bay area, and I invited everybody over. My new wife, we had gotten married in May. We had everybody over except, and he's now known everywhere from having been on ESPN radio. You worked with him, and also now on Fox Sports Radio. I worked with him long before in Tampa and have known him forever. Colin Cowherd didn't show up. He's working for the radio station as well as the TV station. I got the pay per view at my place. And I've got like 12 to 15 people at my place. <laughs> he, for whatever reason, big time us, didn't show up. And I still remember the next day the Buccaneers were playing a home game uh, because we were in the we were in the press box of the old stadium, the old Tampa Stadium. He came walking in late. I was already sitting there with another radio colleague, and all I did was stick my arms out. You got to visualize this if you're just hearing us, and looked at Cowherd and went, and he looked back at me and went, I know. I heard him say it. I know, I know about the uh the knockout because he had missed it. Uh, that night. So that was 26 years ago this week as we're taping the podcast November 9th on uh, on Wednesday. 
Holyfield, Tyson won, and the upset by Evander Holyfield, one and of the great such wins a, of his career. It, it's, it's, it's actually, I actually went back and I watched some of it on YouTube yep. before we taped, you know, earlier in the day, because I had, I had tweeted out a, a, you know, a photo of the program I have from the fight from my collection and a, and a, uh, a picture of uh, one of the uh, rare posters from the fight. People have to understand this, it, besides being a great upset, a big upset, and two big, big mega superstars in boxing. It was a really good fight. Yes. Like it's actually it, looking back at it, it's, it's a criminally underrated fight. Like they people when they mention great heavyweight fights, they'll mention obviously like Ali Frazier, uh, you know the one, the Thriller in Manila. You'll hear about the Rumble in the Jungle. People will talk about the Holyfield Bow trilogy uh, of fights that they had that were fantastic. You know, people might mention not a championship fight. You'll hear about George Foreman against uh, Ron Lyle, that crazy wild slugfest, but. I'm telling you, Tyson Holyfield won. Yes. Stands up. I mean, it's maybe not the greatest heavyweight fight of it's all time. Good. It's, it's, it's a not lot of action. Good, it's drama. It's a, it's a really dramatic and outstanding fight of high significance, but two of the biggest names ever in the sport. And, uh, you know, it's a hell of a fight. And uh, Bobby Chez on the call with Steve Albert and the fight Dr. Ferdy Pacheco utters the famous line on the stoppage, I can't believe what I'm seeing because he had fought him and how awful Holyfield had looked in that fight, and he turned it around. And we don't have another 15 minutes, but there's always the controversy about him being on some type of performance-enhancing drugs. That was in and around that. Whatever. Whatever you want to choose to believe, uh, he won the fight. He won the fight. That, he upset that Mike fight Dixon. made that, that victory as much of a legend as Holyfield was before that fight with the Bow Trilogy and right. being undisputed cruiserweight, being an Olympian and all the great fights he'd been in. That fight made Evander Holyfield an all-time legend. No doubt about that. You're an all-time legend in my book. Everybody enjoy <laughs> all the action this weekend. Again, I'm going to try. We're going to try to stay safe in Florida with tropical storm hurricane slash tropical storm Nicole coming across. I'm headed to Germany, Dan Rayfield, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But I will keep tabs on all of these fights that are going on from the Friday night Sunny Edwards. Uh, flyweight title fight, Jana Beck in action, middleweight title fight in Las Vegas Saturday night, top rank ESPN Plus. We'll keep track of all of this. You'll be writing about it on your Fight Freaks Unite Substack uh, as well. We'll have some stories up on bigfightweekend.com. Have a great weekend. Uh, we remind everybody, find us on the Bet US show because, again, this could be crazy. If I somehow don't make it, I'm not there in Germany or whatever. It's Rayfield maybe on, on solo. I don't know. On the Bet US show Friday live at 1, I have a feeling I will be there with you from Germany. Uh, in the evening. So we'll be on the Bet US show this weekend, but uh, we did well on the preview podcast. Thank you, Dan Rayfield. Have a great weekend. Dankeschön. Thank you, my friend. Uh, and we thank you for listening and finding us. We'll come off the weekend. Again, if you're expecting the recap podcast, we say one more time, it will be out later on Monday. I've got to physically get back uh, from Europe in the middle of the night and early morning. We'll have it for you later on Monday, the Fight Freaks Unite recap for now. Enjoy the fights. And thank you for being with us on the Big Fight Weekend Preview.